0: Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with today's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Our last time together, we talked about Jesus' opponents, and we learned that many of his opponents were those people within the synagogue, in the family, as it were, and many of them were even leaders within the family. We saw how Jesus dealt with them. He talked about the birds in the bush and the yeast in the dough, And, well, that's just the way it is in the family. And we talked about, in Christian terms, how one gets into the family of God. And one gets in the family of God by grace through faith. And I compared it to falling in love. How you come to know a person by talking to them, listening to them, spending time with them, meeting their friends, and at some point, that relationship develops into a commitment. You take that person's hand and you say, yes, I would like to spend my life with you. But have you really thought about it? Have you thought about the cost involved? For a lot of people, it's much easier to live alone, much easier to date and have a good time and not make a commitment. Because married life, I can tell you, And many of you know as well, it has ups and it has downs. It has mountaintop experiences and deep, dark valleys. And a whole lot of flat places in between. It's just the way life is in a committed relationship. So when you decide to step into the family of God, do you understand the price? What will be involved? I'd like to look at this and explore it in Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, holy cow, what's going on here? I thought in the Ten Commandments it said to honor your father and mother. And I've heard this explained by saying that, well, the Greek language doesn't have superlatives, degrees of difference. But it does. Ancient Greek, especially, is a very nuanced language. And it does indeed have comparatives and superlatives and degrees of difference. So what's happening here? Jesus is using a very common rhetorical strategy of hyperbole, hyperbole. That is making an extreme statement to make a point. Obviously, you're not to hate your father and mother, your brothers and sisters. But what he's saying is, I have to come first before anyone else. You have to have me first. Are you willing in your life with Christ to place him first. Some time ago, many years ago now, my personal life went completely off the rails. Completely. And I ultimately ended up spending several weeks at Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky, a Trappist monastery, And I befriended one of the monks, Brother Luke, and he told me, you know, Bill, you you really need to deal with this. You, You really need to talk with someone, and I'd like to send you to one of our older members, a priest, who was indeed, I thought he was Methuselah, he was so old. But I did meet with him, and I had confession with him, and He told me, you know, you know, Bill, you're a bright guy, but you have to have God first, your family second, your friends third, and your work fourth. And if they're not in that order, your life is going to be a train wreck. You had things in that order and you let them get out of control and out of order. That's why you're here. And you know, he was exactly right. God first, family second, friends third, work fourth. That's what Jesus means by saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, brothers and sisters, wife and children, and so on, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." He must come first. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who's not willing to pay a price. We looked at Peter, a podcast or two back. Peter paid a price. He was crucified. In fact, all of the capital A apostles, as far as we know, except for John, died a martyr's death. Today, in our contemporary world, there are more Christian martyrs today than at any time in all of history. We don't see them. They're not part of our culture here in the United States, in California, in San Diego. But there are martyrs, hundreds of martyrs around the world. There's a price. Are you willing to pay it if called to do so are you willing to pay it and it might not be that extreme it might not be martyrdom but it might be marginaliza- marginalization being pushed off to the side being thought a little strange suppose one of you wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it You want to get into this, family? You know what you're getting in for? In the Roman Catholic Church, we have a program called the RCIA, uh, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. And if someone wants to become a Catholic, you may well be a Christian, perhaps from another denomination, but if you want to be a Catholic, it's a year-long program. We want you to know what you're getting into here. Are you sure you want to do this? I remember early on when I first began teaching the Bible, I needed to know more about Judaism. I just didn't know enough, just superficial knowledge. So I wanted to sign up for a class, what was then the University of Judaism, up on Mulholland Drive in L.A., a class called Introduction to Judaism. And it was primarily for people who were converting to Judaism, most of whom were women who were marrying Jewish men, non-Jewish women marrying Jewish men. It was an 18-week long class, but I had to be interviewed by the rabbi in order to be in the class, because, well, especially a Christian coming into the class, someone who's teaching scripture and all the rest, he didn't want the wolf getting into the hen house, and rightfully so. He had concerns about his own flock, as it were. And um, so I had an interview with a rabbi, and, and we talked. We had a good interview. I ended up taking the class. It was one of the best classes I ever took. But he said, you know, when people want to convert to Judaism, you talk to a rabbi, I want to, I want to become a Jew, the rabbi will typically say, why? <laughs> why in the world would you want to do that? You have any idea what you're getting into here? Oh, and same thing with Jesus. You know, if we're coming into the family of God, do you really know what you're getting into? It's not as simple as an emotional response to saying, yes, I give my life to Christ. That's a good thing. It's a good start. But do you really know what you're getting into? Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. Again, do you really know what you're getting into? And that takes us over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, a set of three parables. And oh, we all know these parables, the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. These are the guys, the birds in the bush and the yeast in the dough. These are the leaders who are self-righteous, who think this is a particular social club. Well, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Does he not then leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Those in the family of God. The first step into the family of God is recognizing that you're in that condition of sin alienated, separated from God. And as we've noted, the job of the Holy Spirit is to hold up the mirror of reality and convict you of that, of the reality of that sin, of the reality of the holiness of God and the reality of a desperate need for a Savior. If you think you're just a wonderful fellow or a wonderful gal and the church would just open its arms to have you in it, You're going in it for the wrong reason, and you haven't even begun to count the cost. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, Rejoice with me! I've found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents, over one person who recognizes their desperate need for a Savior, who responds to God's grace by faith and steps into the family of God, understanding the full cost of doing so. Just like in a marriage, if you don't understand that cost, the marriage won't last very long. And now the third parable. I think, everybody's favorite. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the, of, of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this is unheard of. Picture the scene. A beautiful countryside with a house gated, a long driveway winding up to a big, beautiful house, acres upon acres of fertile fields and workers in the vineyard and in the, in the fruit groves. The father is a good father. He provides a good life for his children and his workers. He provides wages, any help they need, great benefits. He's a good person to be with. Now think of the son. He had two sons, one of whom was very faithful, who did his job, who respected his father, who did everything his father asked, who was there, a disciple who was on time, every day, for everything. And he had a younger brother who was a complete ass. He was disheveled. He was dirty. He was covered in tattoos. He cursed all the time. He ran around being rowdy. And he said, I hate it here. I hate my father. I hate my brother. I hate this whole damn life. I am sick of it. I am out of here. And I want my inheritance right now. I deserve it. I'm in the will. I'm a son. If I were the father and he was standing in my library, I'd tell him make sure the door doesn't hit you on the way out. But this father got out the checkbook and he wrote a check for the son's inheritance. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he, all he had, set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth and wild living. He left home and he went to the big city. And he had a pocket full of money. He had bank accounts, he had investments, he had everything you could possibly want. And then he began to throw that money around. He began having parties and and going out with questionable women and spending tons of money on trinkets. Why, he even bought a Ferrari, a $400,000 car, red, and he was driving around in it being a big shot in town. He bought a condo, a penthouse on a high rise on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. And oh, he had friends in the entertainment business and they were into sex, drugs, and rock and roll big time. But pretty soon, he'd spent everything. There was a severe famine in the country. And he began to be in need. The country went into a recession, headed toward a depression. Businesses were shutting down. COVID-19 spread across the land. And he lost everything. So... He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now what a horrible job for a nice Jewish boy feeding the pigs. This boy up in Los Angeles in the penthouse apartment with the red Ferrari, he called He called his friends. He needed help. But you know it was funny. Every time he called one of his big-shot friends, the receptionist said, I'm sorry, he's not in now, but he'll be happy to call you back. And nobody ever called him back. Finally, he had to take the lowliest of jobs. A job, a humiliating job. And he got paid minimum wage, if that. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. He'd pour that bucket of pig slop in the trough, and he was a second away from eating it himself. Finally, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am in, in his pig pen, starving to death. My father's taking care of his workers. They're they're living just the way they always did. I'll I'll go back to my father. I'll I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and against against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired men. So he got up to go to his father. And all the way, walking back home, he had raggedy clothes. He was filthy, smelled like a pig hair down to the middle of his back. He hadn't had a haircut or a bath in months. Go to my father. And all the way he was saying, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. No, that's not right. Father, I have sinned. No. Father, I've sinned. And he was rehearsing what to say and how to say it. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So the father, picture the scene, is sitting in the library. And he was just looking out the window down the driveway toward the gate and the road that led up to the gate. And he watched for that boy every day. He knew he'd come home. He knew he'd come home. Because he was a son, not a pig. He watched and he watched. And one day he saw way off on the horizon someone walking up the road. And he saw it was his son. And he got up and he ran out of the house. Now, we're talking about a Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. Fathers... Don't get up and run. Fathers sit with other fathers and talk, and the sons get up and run. If you're a father back in that day and you're running, you better be on fire. But he ran to that boy, and he threw his arms around him, even though he was raggedy and smelled like a pig. And his son began and said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him. He said, no, 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 no. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. So the father said, bring him in, clean him up, put him in good clothes. We'll celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called a servant and said, what's going on? Oh, your brother came home. He's back. And your father killed the fattened calf and they're having a big celebration. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out. He pleaded with him, but he answered his father, no, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I have done everything you asked me to do. I've done nothing but honor you all my life. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And now this miserable, lousy, wretched brother of mine comes home after squandering half the estate, after disgracing you and me and our whole family, and now you celebrate? What the hell's wrong with you? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. I, I, I weep every time I read and teach this story. I'm sitting here in my library at my recording studio and behind me I have Rembrandt's Portrait of the prodigal son. It's been on my wall for years because I know that boy. I began with a confession that I went off the rails back in the 80s, that God brought me back. I was the prodigal son. I'm sure many of you were too, a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. It's important when we step into the family of God and we understand the responsibilities of being in the family, we understand the cost of discipleship. But then something goes haywire, we go off the rails, happens quite often, That God doesn't kick us out of the family. If we, want to, if we want to walk out, he'll allow us. I've had people in class say, well, what would have happened if the son died in the pig pen? And my answer's always been, the father would have come and gotten him and brought him home. When we're in the family of God, we have responsibilities and obligations to the family. But in the family of God, the family has obligations and responsibility to us. Same way to marriage. The responsibilities cut in both directions. This is a wonderful story, and it really gives us confidence in our relationship with God. When we we respond to God's grace through faith and we step knowingly into the family of God, willingly and knowingly, it's our family. Well, good being with you today, folks. And again, make sure you have a look at uh, logosbiblestudy.com. Uh, at the live classes, which aren't live right now. They're recorded, and uh, but you can get them. You can take the Minor Profit course. That would be fun. Nobody knows much about them. You'll have boasting rights if you do. And uh, the online classroom, uh, many of my best classes are there. And I should note as well that all of my classes, I taught through the Bible, verse by verse, Genesis to Revelation, over a five-year program. And those lectures were all studio recorded and edited and they're all on audible.com you can go to audible and listen to those lessons book by book one lesson by one lesson over 500 hours of lecture on audible.com just go on search dr bill creasy and boom up they come i don't want to boast or anything but they have thousands of five-star reviews well i guess i did boast oh mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Until next time, friends, love you all. Bye-bye.